Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the upcoming election for the City of Brisbane, the state by-elections in Queensland, and the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on elections. I'm joined by two guests today. My first guest is Glenn Kefford. Glenn is a lecturer in political science in the School of Politics and International Studies at the University of Queensland. My second guest is Chris Salisbury. Chris is a political historian focusing on Queensland politics and policymaking at the University of Queensland. Hello, both of you. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. We first covered the Brisbane City Council election in a show in December. Um, and since then, we're getting close to the election now. We're recording on Thursday the 19th, and the election is due on the 28th of March. Uh, nominations have closed and voting has now opened um, and the campaign is underway. This is the first election campaign for Adrian Schrinner as Lord Mayor, leading the local Liberal National Party, which has held the Lord Mayoralty for four terms and controlled the council for three terms. Meanwhile, former journalist Patrick Condren is running as the Labor candidate for Lord Mayor. Chris, how do you think these two candidates are performing so far in this campaign? Well, Ben, they're probably, uh, I guess, satisfied with with how they're campaigning. Um, They both and, uh, you know, all candidates um, contesting wards and mayoral positions are are facing unprecedented situation at the moment where, uh, you know, headlines, uh, media is quite saturated with coverage of the coronavirus pandemic so they're, they're struggling to get a bit of cut through and uh, this will probably well not probably I, I suggest it will favor the incumbent uh, in Brisbane and probably elsewhere um, uh, with uh, you know minimized kind of opportunity for uh, for getting uh, messaging out and um, you know even now limitations on on just how they go about campaigning uh, Condren and, and other challenges to incumbents are going to find it a, a struggle to um, to make inroads. Um, but up until this point, as I said, they're probably you know reasonably satisfied with with how they're performing, how their messages are are being carried and, and received. Um, there's no sort of great scandal that's been unearthed. There's no kind of big body blows that have been landed by by either really, and they don't seem to be going for. Big knockout punches. Um, both seem to be kind of gravitating around each other. Uh, to my knowledge, there's only been one sort of joint uh, radio interview where they kind of went head to head, canvassing issues and 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 finally some policy proposals and differences. But uh, yeah, otherwise, it's hard to <laughs> hard to get a grip exactly on on just just how well they might be, you know, making their marks in the electorate. Labor would need a decent-sized swing in order to win this this race, right? Like the Lord Mayoral margin is about 9.5% and Labor only holds six out of 26 wards on the council. So you would need a you would need a decent movement in the population and we're not really seeing that, although we obviously don't have polls. No, but yes, I would agree with that. Uh, there's not a great sense, I think, um, personally or, or, you know, that I get from... from uh, on the ground, that there's any kind of groundswell for for change or for a, a big uh, swing against the incumbent LNP uh, mayor or the uh, you know majority on council. So it's going to be a struggle for for Labor to you know win certainly a majority in council uh, and and both uh, again for Condren to upset the the incumbent. In the absence of and it's been interesting to watch some of the other contests in in councils around. Uh, particularly southeast Queensland, where there has been uh, scandal and uh, uh, you know 
allegations or, or even uh, findings of, of corrupt uh, activity by mayors and councillors. Um, that kind of um, opprobrium has been absent from the, the Brisbane council landscape. Uh, Condren has been trying to sort of score points, uh, sort of pin a, a kind of accusations of lack of accountability or um, a, a lack of, of financial um, transparency, if you like, on Adrian Schrinner. And I don't know that that's necessarily uh, stuck, uh, that that particular message isn't necessarily getting through to, to voters. So um, in that absence, it, it's kind of just a square off, a fair fight, if you like, um, uh, where I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement in in the uh, the eventual numbers. It's a bit of a strange campaign, just given the context that it's being fought in. Um, I think my my view is that the LNP have tried to present some bigger picture policy ideas. So they're talking about the metro, green bridges, um, the Vic Park expansion. And, uh, you know, they've spent a lot of money on advertising um, these policies and initiatives. So the, the reports are that they've spent about $4 million to advertise this Briz Better campaign, um, which has been part of the um, attacks that Labor have been trying to run against um, the LNP. Um, but like Chris said, I, it, it certainly seems like Labor's lines about end the rorts, end the waste, and so on and so forth, um, haven't really stuck. Um, and I think there's a broader um, issue here for Labor, which is that um, the sense I'm getting and talking to people around the Labor camp is that they're really just putting all their eggs in the state election basket later this year and trying to um, keep as many resources, financial and otherwise, um, for that state campaign, which they're, they're viewing as the priority. Do either of you, because you're both based in Brisbane, um, have a sense, we're going to talk more generally about the coronavirus pandemic and um, later, but do we have a sense like it's a common tactic in elections to be out there door knocking and running stalls and things like that? Uh, is that kind of activity holding up or has that activity kind of ground to a halt now? It's ground to a halt. Um, certainly Greens and Labor um, volunteers have more or less been instructed now to stop door knocking and um, they're trying to do phone banking, but um, the, the door knocking that you would expect around council elections as well as by-elections and so on and so forth have really, um, really stopped now. And, um, you know, there's a focus on pre-poll because we're obviously there now. And there's been huge increases in pre-poll numbers, just like we see in all sorts of other elections um, for the council elections so far. So, um, look, it's a real problem um, for political parties and other organisations that are embracing direct voter contact strategies. Do we know anything about uh, what people's plans are for Election Day? Because I've seen some references in the reports from the Electoral Commission about changing how how the votes are handed out, um, but we don't know anything about whether that might change, like whether people just might not hand out how to vote or if bundles will just be left on a table or anything like that rather than having people physically hand, put them in your hand. 
Now, there was uh, an interesting article appeared just yesterday that I think Glenn saw as well, where there's been some innovative um, methods uh, introduced to get around the kind of physical contact that would normally go along with um, how vote cards and, and handing out other electoral material parties. And I, I think, that, again, the uh, Labor and the Greens may be kind of ahead of the pack on this. Um, they're, they're offering uh, QR codes that people can scan into their phone to effectively download a, um, a how-to-vote card before they go into booths. Um, they've printed large-sized uh, posters of how-to-votes and, and of you know, candidate material that uh, people can take photos of. And I guess we'll see more of that. Uh, I believe even the Electoral Commission is proposing to do something similar uh, to keep this kind of material that, that normally is part and parcel of the, the electoral process uh, kind of distant and... and um, that voters can kind of get that information still, but but remotely or at least at a distance. Yeah, and I think um, there was a story um, either yesterday or this morning that uh, Redlands Council has banned volunteers um, on the booths um, on election day. So I don't know how that's going to really work and what they're going to do about how to vote, um, whether they're just going to leave piles of them on a table or whatever, but no volunteers um, on the booths will certainly change um, the dynamic of election day. And I mean, a lot of people will probably like it, to be honest, but um, that's definitely going to change things. Is it safe to say both of you are predicting that, I mean, we don't have any polling from Brisbane. Um, we we don't have anything that tells us actually how much voting patterns might have changed since the last election. But both of you are thinking that probably the most likely outcome is we see the LNP re-elected with a majority? That would be my, uh, I guess, prediction or my, my sense. Yeah, I think so. Not just because of the um, the incumbency factor and the sort of the political context. I mean, I think historically uh, the LNP have been better at postal votes as well. Um, I think all the stars sort of are aligning to suggest that they're just going to maintain, you know, their, their control of council and um, the mayoralty. We've seen in the last handful of state, federal elections that uh, there doesn't, I mean, despite what some of the polls might tell us, um, status quo seems to be kind of ruling people's uh, direction when they cast their votes. Uh, And I don't see necessarily anything different this time. Yeah, I mean, I think there are still, um, there's still interesting pockets and still interesting wards in play. And uh, I think I think the Greens are a really important story in Queensland politics, and you know just their increasing um, centrality to the the shape of electoral competition in Queensland, um, those Labor Green contests, but also the three cornered contests that are starting to emerge um, in inner city Brisbane, especially sort of the South Side. So I think that the 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 role and the presence of the Greens is really part of the or one of the real key stories um, in the council election. Yes, I'd agree with that too, just to sort of butt in there. Um, I mean, we already have a, a Greens councillor uh, in Brisbane, and um, I guess the, the particular dynamics of Brisbane's council being, you know, covers the entire kind of municipality of, of the Brisbane city, it reflects to some extent uh, some of, you know, what we're seeing uh, at, at different levels of government where where. Green support is is increasing and kind of um, centrif- centralising, if you like, uh, into the centre of cities. Um, they hold the Gabba ward, and their performance in that ward 
um, with an incumbent councillor uh, is going to be interesting to watch in terms of its uh, implications for uh, particularly um, Deputy Premier Jackie Trad's South Brisbane seat at the state election later this year. But there's other inner city wards, uh, pockets, as Glenn mentioned, that, that um, their support will be a factor and you know where they may well uh, outstrip Labor uh, in terms of voter support and um, perhaps challenge for, for even more gains. Yeah, I think, you know, two in particular are Paddington and Cooparoo, where, you know, Paddington, the Greens finished second last time. That's obviously been one of their targets. You know, you probably think that the, the context of what's going on doesn't suit the Greens. Um, but, you know, there's obviously still a chance there. Um, and if you go through Paddington, there's uh, an enormous amount of core flutes up for the Greens in the area. Um, and the other is in Cooparoo, where the Greens are making a push and it sort of aligns with uh, the campaigns they've run in state and federal campaigns over the last you know, five years around South Brisbane, taking on Jackie Trad, but also um, in Griffith, taking on Terry Butler. Um, so the so the movement around the sort of South Brisbane, um, southern inner southern um, suburbs of Brisbane is really where I think the Greens are, are making hay and um, really presenting a challenge for Labor in particular, but also the LNP. I think that's perhaps why we're seeing when um, the mayoral candidates uh, kind of, uh, you know, step away from the the slanging matches and, and actually outline some policy initiatives. Um, Pat Condren is focusing, it seems, on on the outer suburbs, and I think that's in part a reflection of of this reality uh, that that Labor is, uh, you know seeing challenge to to its support in the inner, inner city and it might be the outer suburbs where it sees best opportunity to to actually pick up some wards yeah and i think that some of those outer wards um the greens still are going to play an important role um you know northgate doughboy you know those two those two wards um it could come down to the exhaustion of the green preferences to decide who gets over the line because they seem to be two of the closer wards that are that are in play. Yeah, you know, this election is going to provide a, a really. I mean, we might touch on this again later, talking about the pandemic. But um, this is our kind of first test case, if you like, for how large scale elections. This, we are holding elections all across the state of Queensland for councils. Uh, this is going to provide a marker in just how. Uh, electoral commissions and political parties can handle this reality of um, a landscape that's now kind of shaped and dominated by uh, reaction to the um, the coronavirus. Along with the statewide council elections, by-elections will be held in two state seats on the 28th of March. The Labor seat of Bundamba in the Ipswich area was vacated by long-standing local member Joanne Miller, while the LNP seat of Currambin on the Gold Coast was vacated by Jan Stuckey. The Ipswich area has always been a strong area for One Nation. Glenn, do One Nation appear to be taking this race seriously? Yeah, they do. Um, they seem to be pretty well organised um, compared to sometimes what they look like. Um they recycled a candidate from the federal election um, and she stood in Blair, um, which takes in, um, I think, all of Bundamba. And uh, they did pretty well in Blair. They they managed to get about 17% of first preferences last year. Um, so I think that 
having a candidate that they could recycle from the federal election has obviously helped. So the candidate has a little bit of experience and they seem to have been able to draw on a small but committed group of volunteers. And um, if you look at their social media pages, the volunteers have been out in the electorate every day or every couple of days trying to uh, engage with voters in Bundamba. So um, in the, the history of One Nation campaigns, which can often be shambolic, um, this appears to be one of the better organised ones. Yeah, Bundamba is going to be very interesting. Um, as you've said, uh, Ipswich has you know long been a, a base for for quite prominent One Nation support. We we can't kind of stick our necks out too much because they haven't stood a candidate in Bundamba since I believe two thousand and four. So there's you know apart from their their heyday of nineteen ninety eight when they um, indeed ran the the member there Bob Gibbs quite close. There's not a lot of information in terms of track record to go on. But but as Glenn says, they have a a candidate who has uh, you know some recognition in the area um, and a, a campaign that seems to be reasonably well organised um, and uh, uh, a wild card in this by election is going to be just you know what if any role or or place Joanne Miller uh, plays uh, we know at the last state election uh, where one nation didn't run a candidate against her um, but were out uh, effectively almost campaigning alongside her for her re-election this is going to add an interesting little um, sort of sub-plot uh, to, to how this by-election plays out, just whether there's a, a kind of a, a, a bridging between some of Labor's support and, and, and One Nation, um, but it's all uh, a bit of guesswork because uh, we, do, we don't know, apart from results in, in perhaps neighbouring state seats or, or federal seats, uh, where their support has been prominent enough to, to know that they'll, they'll, they'll you know, be in with some showing. Um, but it's a very safe margin as it stands. Um, but as with most by-elections, there'll be a presumed uh, anti-government swing and just how much of uh, Joanne Miller's personal vote uh, sort of reduces Labor's support in this by-election is, is anyone's guess. Um, but Labor will be nervous about this one. Yeah, I think um, this seat is um, really what what's going on in this seat and the... I guess the friction between Labor and One Nation is um, symptomatic of sort of broader Queensland forces at play where we saw it last year in the federal election, I'm sure we'll see it in the state election, that Labor is really concerned about One Nation and they're concerned about many of their voters, um, particularly uh, working class voters, traditional Labor voters being peeled away and flirting with the idea of voting One Nation. Um, in the federal election last year, Labor tried to um, message strongly to those voters. Um, I haven't talked to anyone who's out there. I'm sure they're probably doing the same again, but um, it's it's a problem for Labor in Queensland. They're worried about losing their primary to One Nation and then that primary um, drifting away, you know, exhausting or drifting back to the coalition. So it's it's a real challenge for Labor in seats like this. Now, in saying this, this is a very safe Labor seat and um, you have to presume that Labor will get over the line. Um, but like Chris said, I, I think just the nature of by-elections, you'll expect a swing. 
Um, and, you know, then another factor here in Boundamba, and it sort of goes back to the council um, discussion, is that the Ipswich City Council has been a basket case. <laughs> and um, what effects that has in terms of the corruption, um, maybe that will have a, uh, have a spill-on effect um, into this contest as well. On paper, it is a very safe Labor versus LNP seat, which, if anything, makes it easier to imagine the One Nation at least getting into second place, right? And at which point, you know, it's, a, it's still quite a stretch for them to then jump and overtake Labor, particularly, well, it's a compulsory preferential system. So, you know, maybe that does mean they might do a little bit better than they would have done in the past in that kind of situation in Queensland. But it's, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be one worth watching. Do you guys have any thoughts about Currumbin? It's it's not quite as safe for the LNP. Uh, they've had a few issues where the previous sitting member clearly had a falling out with the party and has not been happy with, or really anything. Um, well, yeah, this is, I think, one that'll be, um, you know, harder to pick. Um, it would be surprising and unusual if a, a seat... Uh, fell to the government at a by-election um, but because of the kind of back history of, of the the departing member who has you know more than once come out and attacked her her own party or I should say her former party because she's now formally resigned from the LNP um, and announced this just a week and a half out from the polling date uh, which is just going to kind of add to the woes of the um, the new candidate for the LNP there. But it's a marginal seat that has, uh, you know, while the LNP have held it for, for quite some time, 16 years, I think, Labor have held this in the past uh, for successive terms. Um, so it's, it's going to be the closer, I think, of the two races and um, probably the one more likely if there were to be a, a change of... of uh, uh, which party helped? I spoke to a Labor operative last week and their sense was that it's probably going to be status quo um, and that the LNP will hold the seat. Um, but they made um, a kind of off-the-cuff remark that they actually hope that they don't win the seat because they want um, uh, uh, Deb Frecklington to remain the leader because they think they've got her measure. Um, and they thought that if, if Labor won Corumban, that they might replace Frecklington. Um, so, um, you know, obviously that's set in, in jest, at least partially. But look, I think it's probably status quo. But with a by-election, who knows? That's an important consideration, I think, for this, this seat. Um, the result in this by-election is the one that might have greatest implications for the leadership of either party. If... if LNP lost Corumban, then um, yes, it, it could well be daggers for, for Deb Franklinton, which, yes, as you say, Glenn, um, may well not be to, to Labor's liking. It'll definitely be worth watching those um, on election night. Uh, so voters in those electorates will get a vote both for their local uh, mayor and councillor for Ipswich and Gold Coast councils, but also for their uh, local state member. And uh, all of the stuff around poster votes and pre-polls for the council elections also covers um, those by-elections is my understanding. When you go to vote for your council election, you also vote for the state seat. Um, but uh, I might move on. Do, do you have any other thoughts about the by-elections before I wrap that bit up and talk about coronavirus? At by-elections, we usually see less of a turnout than at general elections. Um, but as you say, this one is being held in, or these two by-elections are being held in conjunction with council elections. So 
that may indeed uh, increase the expected turnout. Um, whether that'll have any bearing on the result, um, I suspect, like Len, that we'll just see status quo in both those those by-election results. But um, uh, there'll be perhaps more more voters, uh, you know, expressing their will either way. So these elections are being held under the shadow of the global COVID nineteen pandemic, and uh, well. I, when I wrote this, I said it seems likely that they'll be affected, but I think we can say at this point that they definitely are being affected by the pandemic. Voters who wish to cast a postal vote needed to register that intention by last Monday so they could receive their postal voting pack. Uh, and that was just a few days after Australia's government stepped up their measures to combat the pandemic by banning mass gatherings of more than 500 people, amongst other measures. Um this caused a large spike in postal vote registrations. There was periods on Monday where the registration form was unavailable and we got to an end result where 540,000 people in Queensland registered for a postal vote. Uh, that is out of a total electorate of 3.2 million. So huge, huge proportions. Like we're talking about one, one in every six of one in every six voters. And as a comparison, 75,000 people uh, registered for a postal vote in 2016 and about 370,000 in Queensland registered at the 2019 federal election. And you would expect people are more interested, they're more aware of a federal election than a council election. It is gobsmacking to see a council election get so many more postal vote registrations than a recent federal election. So it really does seem like a lot more people are are um, planning to cast postal votes. We're also seeing um, voters being encouraged to use pre-poll voting. The ECQ is talking about having longer hours for pre-poll voting. They're providing hand sanitizer and more cleaning at booths. Uh, voters are encouraged to bring their own pen or pencil, which you're enti always entitled to do, but you are being encouraged to do so. And uh, we are already seeing a bit of a spike in pre-poll voting as well. We've already had almost 300,000 people vote early. Um, so we could see a situation where about half the votes are cast early. Um, so I've kind of talked a little bit about that, but Chris, how do you see this pandemic affecting this election beyond what we already know? Well, it's already, and I guess we've canvassed a little bit of, of how it's uh, affecting the way the, the campaign has been run. Um, door knocking has been, you know, all but... Um, uh, barred. Parties are having to use alternative and, and I guess remote means of, of contacting and, and uh, contacting voters and uh, spreading election messages. But no doubt the biggest uh, impact we'll see is just on how the election itself is conducted. Uh, and there's even now uh, you know, speculation or, or, or the possibility that the election may well not go ahead on the 28th of March. Uh, just last night the State Parliament sat late into the evening uh, debating emergency measures to respond to the coronavirus, um, you know, a lot of health measures, but also just uh, how the Electoral Commission, how uh, the, the Parliament itself um, can, I guess, uh, still hold an election event, um, but in the midst of a, a, a pandemic outbreak and uh, with people, you know, potentially marginalised to a greater extent or or, or unable to access their, their usual means of casting a vote. You're right, there's been uh, extraordinary numbers of people apply for postal votes. Uh, I think this election is going to provide a bit of a blip in the sort of, sort of usual measure of, of uh, just how postal voting influences elections. Uh, Glenn mentioned earlier that, that postal votes tend to uh, play out in 
the LNP's or the Conservative Party's favour. That's that's true historically. Um, I think this one um, we really won't know, uh, and it may have to be <laughs> overlooked in in longer term sort of analyses of of how postal voting and and increasing numbers of postal votes and pre-poll votes uh, play out at elections. One of the interesting things I've seen when you look at the trends is the the early vote has been increasing, but largely the postal vote is steady. It's the pre-poll vote that's been growing. Uh, and so this is this is a bit of an unusual case where it's the postal vote has shot shot out and looks likely to be much bigger than it would normally be because, the, you know, the, the trend postal voting has been relatively steady in, in the data that I've seen. Um, well, yes, you're right. This is very much an outlier and, and, you know, one that we won't really necessarily be able to draw conclusions from. But it, it's going to alter the way both, the, you know, the, the election is conducted and also how the, the counting of votes is conducted and the length of time that it's going to take to actually arrive at, at a result. Um, I, I note that the Electoral Commission has um, announced they're, they're putting on more staff to process postal votes. Um, and part of the provisions, I believe, that were introduced into Parliament last night allowed for a, uh, a longer period of casting uh, postal votes if, if indeed the date of the election is changed or, or even extending you know, greater provisions like, uh, like access to telephone voting to, to those who aren't able otherwise to, to make it to booths. Um, it's, it's going to play out, uh, it's all very fluid and is going to play out in ways that we're, we're still not entirely on top of. But as I say, it's going to be a, a, a real test case for uh, a number of electoral events, both here in Queensland and elsewhere, later this year. Well, speaking of elsewhere, uh, it's worth mentioning a couple of other elections that have already happened. We've seen a number of primaries in the US, but a lot of others have been postponed until later in the year. And we've just the other day actually had a comparable election where the first round of the French local council elections was held and the turnout dropped from 63.6% in 2014 to just 45.5%. So a big drop off. And the, the second round is scheduled next Sunday. This is one of the ways that preferential voting is superior to the French model where they have a double round vote. Um, but they're now they're not talking about whether that second round will happen, and they're in a situation where kind of their election is half finished, and they're kind of left left a bit in the lurch. So this is not just a thing that's happening here, but the, as you say that as you said earlier, Chris, it is interesting about like what happens if this drags on. A lot of the epidemiological research I've seen basically says that if you take your foot off the brake in terms of suppressing this disease then it'll probably bounce back up. And that means even if we're not always in the same state of restrictions, restrictions are going to come and go possibly for as long as 18 months, in which case you've got a Queensland election at the end of the year, you've got council elections in New South Wales and Victoria, you've got the ACT, the NT, we've got legislative council elections in Tasmania, and then next year we have the WA state election. So there's actually quite a lot of elections that are could be affected by this and this is kind of the test case what are the steps you can take how well do they work how well can you balance having a functioning democracy with everyone being unable to physically interact with each other yes that's right i mean we're seeing some uh, novel uh, advents um, the electoral commission is um, extending pre-poll hours uh, on a couple of days this week and next week uh, there's you know late night voting uh, they're really doing, I guess, what they can to to provide every opportunity, and certainly the commission and and even the parties are encouraging people to cast their votes early. 
um, to, I guess, take away some of the pressure from polling day itself. It's a kind of a moving feast, and um, uh, we at least have, you know, very well established and 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 well run electoral commissions here in Australia that, you know, we we trust will uh, do all that's possible. Um, there's even been suggestion of if indeed the the council election was postponed, um, that that it might move to entirely postal voting. All these things are kind of on the table, but um, as it stands, they're they're suggesting that the election will still go ahead, uh, and just that people uh, need to you know safely and as best as possible uh, cast their vote while there's the opportunity to do so. I think uh, there's a few things. Um, I'm not sure what. The correlation is between um, postals and informal voting, um, but I guess that that is a potential possibility here, right? That um, postals could increase the amount of informal voting. Um, I guess that could happen. Um, but I think more broadly, just the the nature of the pandemic is really problematic for all of these elections, especially when we've seen uh, a real uptick in direct voter contact strategies, not just in Australia, but obviously in the US and Western Europe and so on and so forth. Um, and that's problematic for all sorts of reasons, because I think it's a it's a democratic good that parties and other campaigners are out talking to voters about politics. Um, but it also raises uh, the spectre of misinformation if digital becomes uh, the primary source of messaging from parties. Um, what is going to go on in terms of the misinformation that's spread through social media and through digital channels? Um, I think that's a real concern for um, less so these council elections, but as we get into these, uh, I think, higher stake elections, so state campaigns, US presidential elections, and so on and so forth, um, that's a real worry. Just before we finish, Chris, did you have any thoughts about like historical parallels? We, we had a bit of a discussion on Twitter about um, the experience of the flu pandemic in 1919. Do you have any sense of how they were impacted by the flu pandemic? Yeah, I've been trying to dig into this um, historical issue a little bit. Uh, I haven't found much evidence of... of the, the pandemic in 1919 um, actually influencing or, or negatively affecting the conduct of elections. And apart from a dozen or so by-elections, there, uh, there was actually a state election in Tasmania in, um, uh, I think, maybe August of, of 1919, and, and indeed a federal election in uh, December of 1919. But Tasmania had... Um, <laughs> instituted some of the the most uh, strict quarantine measures um, apparently anywhere in the world, uh, restricting the movement of people um, and gathering in public places. You know some of the measures we're seeing now, even uh, restricting the number of, of uh, men who could enter a, a pub at any given time. But there's not a lot of evidence I've seen so far that it kind of affected the running of elections, uh, or even you know necessarily influenced. The, the outcomes. Both those elections, I believe, you know, returned the incumbents, uh, so there wasn't um, a move. And this might be the case again this year that that this kind of fraught situation means that people just stick with what they know. There, there was a case in one of the by-elections in uh, New South Wales in May of 1919. A candidate was elected, and then three weeks later, uh, died from the influenza. Uh, so another by-election had to be held. This is the state seat of Paddington in New South Wales. Um, another by-election held there just a few months later. Uh, so that was a direct impact, I guess, on, on one particular seat. But otherwise, you know, I haven't uh, seen that there was a lot of uh, impact uh, apart from 
again, sort of affecting the ability of, of parties and, and uh, even union organisations to um, sort of gather en masse. Um, otherwise, uh, little I've seen to, to say that the, the elections themselves were directly influenced. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Chris and Glenn, for joining me. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Ben. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. Information about this podcast is available at www.tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you heard in this episode. Please take care, everyone. Wash your hands and thanks for listening. <laughs>